The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Miriam Sikandi. Born in Uganda and following a rough childhood, Dr. Sikandi finds her way to Canada, eventually earning her PhD and experiencing many incidences that led to her awakening. Now she is helping families heal and bringing awareness to racial disparities. Dr. Sikandi is also an international best-selling author, renowned speaker, intuitive life purpose coach, and parenting coach. She is the founder of the Break Free Zone brand, which offers a unique approach to breaking from intergenerational trauma cycles by embodying the persona, mindset, and tools of conscious parenthood. She has cracked the code of raising children while straddling both local and global cultures. Hi, Miriam. I'm just so, so glad to have you on the show with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. I I bet you have an amazing story to tell us as far as your life's journey from, uh, you know, when you were younger to where you are now. So I really look forward to hearing all about it. Yes, my story is quite interesting. So yeah, I'm looking okay. forward to seeing what parts of it pops up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, if it's okay with you, I would love to start in your childhood. Would you mind telling us what that looked like for you? Whew. My childhood. So I I am a middle child by default or by mistake. <laughs> uh, my parents had five children, uh, but two passed away quite young. So growing up, I was the middle child. You know, I've, I've actually been doing a lot of uh, searching and thinking about my childhood and how that is affecting me today and informing how I'm showing up today. So it, this is kind of a good time to also share this piece. So I was raised in Uganda, in Central Af- Central East Africa, sorry, East Africa, not Central, <laughs> Lord, but Central Uganda. And I was raised in an interesting time. So many people talk about Africa as, oh, Africa has all these traditions and stuff, but... Because of colonialism, I was raised at a time, you know, shortly after the colonialists had left and the country was trying to pick up again. And so it was a combination of the remnants of colonialism, which has not left, but the remnants of the Europeans being in Uganda, plus a bit of the traditional cultural peace and the religious background that also had been left 
because religion came with the colonialists. So it was always one thing or another or a combination of, of those things. So a lot of morals were emphasized, biblically informed morals were emphasized. Sunday school or going to church was mandatory. So, yeah, my, I, I really, really struggled with a lot of the rules. There were too many rules happening and I did not do well with rules. I felt as if I had been gagged and yet I felt gagged and invisible those two. So I spent uh, my, my, a lot of my childhood had a bit of, you know, physical beatings and all that physical violence that comes with the, those good old disciplining days. And mixed with that is the fact that I did not feel I belonged. I did not feel I, I belonged to the rules. Some people tried to follow the rules you know, we went to boarding school and some kids tried to follow the rules. I was always on the other side of the law, which got me into more trouble, more punishment. And with each punishment came more rebellion. And so it was kind of a cycle of rebellion and punishment. And I didn't, I'm, I'm actually talking like this because I didn't really think about some of these things until much, much later and the impact they've had on me. And mm-hmm. as a teenager, Going into teenage, it was even worse. I had been abused as a child, about six years old, by a family family member. And so every time they spoke about, you know, being pure in church and being pure on your wedding day and perfect and a virgin and all of these things, it didn't apply to me. I felt broke, like a broken uh, piece of furniture, like I wasn't whole. So, you know, all those things compounded made me feel like, you know, I didn't even deserve to be there. So, yeah, that was a bit about my childhood. Other pieces might come through later. Wow, that sounds like quite um, quite a unforgettable upbringing that you had. What brought you from Uganda to the States? Or I'm sorry, you're in Canada, I'm right? In Canada, so to Canada. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I came to study because yeah, part of what happened was our education system was weird, still is. So I ended up teaching at a university. And I know when I relate this to education, it's funny. I didn't go straight to university after my high school. Usually that was reserved for students who are, who excelled in school. And so I did not quote-unquote excel. I didn't get the high marks. So the computers, they put your names in a computer and the computer spits you out and tells you to go somewhere. So it spat me out and sent me to a teacher training college. So when I, when I was at that teacher training college, I excelled and I was asked to stay back as a part of staff development to teach. And, you know, of course, I had my degree then, and they they told me I had to come and study to do my, post, my postgraduate, my master's, and so on. And I, I tried to get them to pay for me, and they refused. And so I was like, oh, well, if they choose to <laughs> discard me because they've refused to pay for my education, that's fine. And then I was fortunate a few 
you know, years in, a couple years in, I got a full scholarship to come to Canada to pursue my master's. After my master's, I was still asleep, I will say. I was still asleep. But then after my master's, I com- continued with my doctorate. And that is when my awakening started during that time. And yeah, here we are. <laughs> Can you t- tell us about that awakening? Ah, it wasn't a one. It wasn't a one-time unfolding. There was no one huge event that happened, but I happened to take a couple classes with one of the professors, and he had been a Buddhist monk. But the way he asked questions in class, the way he got us to think about ourselves, was not the way the others were doing it. The others were very academic. And not that he wasn't academic, but for him, it was more spiritual and deep, like deep. He taught what was known as wisdom traditions, and it was deep. You could feel it in your in your bones, in your bone marrow, and you could mm-hmm. feel things stirring up. And I remember an assignment he gave us. Uh, to this day, I remember that assignment. That probably got me starting to think. Uh, the assignment was... Who are you, how are you, and where are you? And I sat with some of my colleagues at that time, you know, very academic people, and they were like, who are you? You're a student, you're a this, you're a that. But as I kept writing and writing and writing, we went to class and he asked us, you know, to share. And we shared, but he kept asking deeper questions, like almost like this is not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So we went back to redo the assignment and it kind of blew the walls off. And <laughs> yeah, slowly by slowly being around him. And it was also a time where YouTube was becoming a big deal. You know, I would go onto YouTube and I would watch Tony Robbins and Lisa Nichols. And I was like, what are these people talking about? You know, the way they were looking at life was so different. And I was like, what do you mean? And so I started listening and binging and binging and binging. And I realized that they were going so deep. I was like, wow, this is interesting. So I started to pay attention to myself in comparison to that. Like when they were speaking, I tried to to put my life parallel to whatever they were saying. And I was like, wow. This is interesting. This is interesting. And, you know, YouTube wasn't like YouTube now, then. There were now, like, anyone has a YouTube channel, but by then right, it was right. not like that. And I'm talking not even very far back, but this is about 2008, 2009. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was YouTube, but people were not going to it, gravitating to it a lot. Slowly by slowly, I kind of, I would listen to books they would recommend. At that time, interestingly too, Amazon was just books. There was a time when it was just books. And they would (laughs) recommend books and I would buy books off of Amazon. And some of them were used and really tattered and old. It was so funny. When I look at (laughs) Amazon now, I'm like, wow, you know, because I used to buy my textbooks (laughs) off of Amazon. And there would be tattered books, like really somebody had read and underlined things and highlighted. And yeah, I would buy the books that they would recommend 
off of Amazon. Do you know, just by educating myself, I've always been that person who takes interest in what's around me and I educate myself. And I think this is why I was very resistant in it to, to being told this is what you get to do and nothing else. Because I believed there was an inner teacher within me, an inner teacher and an inner student. So that um, relationship inside of me kept going and uh, helped to enrich me. So what was the, the outcome of, of this time where you kept watching the YouTube videos, kept reading the books? Like, What, what did that lead to? Um, it, <laughs> at the same time, mm-hmm. there was Facebook. Facebook showed up. And I connected mm-hmm. with a friend of mine who was in the States and she she was writing a book and I was like, Wow, you're writing a book? You know, then then it wasn't like it was like, Whoa, you're writing a book. <laughs> and so I I actually went to visit her a, a few years afterwards. And when I went to visit her, while I was still studying, I went to visit her and she was a healer. And I was like, Whoa magic right i was like (laughs) and she we did we did a few ceremonies i was just like kind of curious to see what was happening and you know while i was doing some of those ceremonies she had a ball a clay ball that she had used for so long and all she'd put was charcoal and incense and she told me to pray and i did pray you know, at that time, I wasn't deep into this stuff, but I kind of knew, was starting to learn about it. And so I kind of prayed and she's like, pray. And my eyes were open. She's like, no, close your eyes, go deep. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, <laughs> so I kind of prayed and prayed. And after a while, the little clay ball burst into like a thousand pieces. And for me, that Whoa. moment, yeah, that moment got me, that was my probably this is real moment. This is real. And then she told me, you know, when you go back, you'll never be the same. She lives in California. She says, when you go back, you'll never be the same. Nobody comes to see me and they're ever the same. And I'm like, I just came to visit as your friend. You're like, yeah, you'll never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back here curious and she sent me a video about Reiki and I was like, what the heck is Reiki? And the person was doing self-healing, self-reiki. And I was like, oh, I don't understand what she's saying. But the curious teacher in me googled Reiki in Edmonton. Da-da-da. And I found a class that was happening a, a couple of weeks later. This is creepy, by the way. And I was like, how am I going to go into this class? What am I going to tell my husband? I don't know. Then I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually contacted the lady and she told me the class was full. And I said, oh, okay. Then about th- four days to, to the class being, f- being full, my father-in-law had, been, had taken ill and then he passed away. And so my hus- husband had to travel to Uganda to, for the funeral. And I got an email that said there is a spot in the class. And I was like, <laughs> okay. 
my father-in-law passed away. There is a spot in the class. My husband's not going to be around. I don't have to explain anything to him. I'm going for the <laughs> class. So I paid for the class. You know, those synchronicities that get you going, yeah. you know, I think this is what I'm meant to be I doing. Do. Yeah. So I did go for, I'd never heard of Reiki. I went for the class the first day and they told us, the lady said, I don't know why we are an odd number. We were not supposed to be an odd number. I don't know how we ended up being an odd number. I was like, I don't know. I came in last minute. I got an email that said there was a spot. I don't know who sent that email. <laughs> but wow. yeah. Then that day she said we needed to buy pendulums. So I went to buy a pendulum. And when I walked in, somebody said, can I offer you Reiki? There was a guy in the store and he's like, can I offer you Reiki? And I said, I don't, I'm, I'm just hearing about Reiki. I don't even know. And he said, you can experience it. So he gave me like a 30 minute Reiki session and I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was all these things happening at once and almost falling into place, almost like stepping stones leading me somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was just trusting and going with my curiosity and trusting that they led somewhere. So that is that in a nutshell. That's that's pretty incredible. Do you consider that like you were you were guided by something from spirit or how do you explain that? Yeah, I think I, I do believe, you know, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I believe spirit has our back and uh, because of my ig not ignorance but naivety uh, I will I had to be guided I had to be given like clearer signs this is where you go this is where you go this putting things in place for me so that I could just partake versus me having to go hunting so these things just fell kind of into my lap and yes I do believe that is spiritual have you noticed other examples of synchronicity throughout your life since that experience? <laughs> oh, definitely lots and lots and lots. As far as the work that you do these days, mm -hmm. like how did how did you get to get to that starting that sort of work? Yeah. The work that I do these days particularly with parents, I have two passions and they are kind of parallel. One is the parenting and the other is the intercultural awareness or racial awareness. That's almost by default because of my race, you know, as a black woman, and also the education I've had. My former education has been around that, and it's a passion of mine, but also with parenting. So one of the things that has guided me right now is my human design. I decided to honor my human design. I went in and I discovered I'm a 4 six. Uh, manifesting generator, sacred authority. And the sixth line in uh, human design explains uh, a lot about our lives. It divides, you know, the life span into three. The first one is a really kind of troubled childhood. Too, so many life experiences, so many happenings, so many things happening to you. Uh, a really kind of active, reactive childhood and early adulthood. And then the second part is where you get to integrate these lessons learned from that time. 
you may not realize they are lessons then, but they are there. So you integrate those lessons and then uh, usually after 50, you start sharing the wisdom gained from those lessons. Uh, when I looked at my life, I originally thought maybe I was the problem. But when I looked at my life, it made sense. My earlier part of my life was crazy, crazy. You know, then after about 30 years old, after about 26, 30, I stabilized and, you know, went into the workforce. But that's also the time I was moving from Uganda to here. And so, you know, the lessons I had picked up then kind of were there, but not in your face. So when I started this journey, I started off doing healing work, actually. And I did support uh, a few people with uh, their, you know, their healing. And overall, just general healing work, because I I wasn't clear yet where I wanted to go with um, my purpose and my calling. But the last probably two years it became clearer and clearer and clearer to me that I needed to pay attention to how people are passing on knowledge to their younger children. But it's not just the knowledge, but also how people, through their parenting, expose their own childhood wounds and trauma and can still use the parenting to heal their own childhood wounds and trauma, as well as those of their children. So paying attention to parenting practices, uh, nurturing the inner child of both the parent and the child. So basically working together, working that relationship between mother and child or parent and child and ensuring that the children who are coming out of that relationship are more whole, and uh, optimized. That's kind of become clearer and clearer. And, you know, you realize more and more people are asking me to talk about this stuff, which may be talking about coincidences, which confirms for me uh, that this is work I'm meant to do. Mm -hmm. So as far as it becoming clearer, what what did that look like? How did you know it was becoming clearer other than people, more people asking you for it? Well, people asking you for it is is also an experience, right? It, It tells you when, because I'm a manifesting generator, I respond. So I pay attention to who comes into my energy and what they're asking from me. And I can tell. And also... I do have four children myself. I did have a teen a child when I was a teenager. She's uh, she has a baby now, so I am a glamma. So the way I was raising my children too, I paid attention to that, and you know, trying to make sure that I don't repeat the mistakes that I don't want to call them mistakes, but some of the things that that some of the ways in which I was parented, I didn't want to repeat that. Uh, because I didn't want to cause the same kind of distress to my own children. And I could see from there, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not perfect because it's always a work in progress. But I can see a difference, a big, big difference between how I was raised and how my children uh, respond to me. And that tells me a lot. I have a lot of nuggets there. (laughs) 
And so I can easily <laughs> share some of the things I've done that my children draw from. Initially, when my kids would give me cards, they would always write the same message. Thank you for being a role model, something. And I was like, wow, like how many kids actually write thanks for being a role model for us? And they would not talk to each other. They would all write to me a card and they would all put in the same word. And I was like, wow, you know, there's something they see in me. And so I said, you know, I need to be more of that, which they see. So you also went to school and you got your PhD. How how were you able to juggle everything that was going on with you to then get your PhD? <sighs> Did I tell you that I had a baby too in the midst of all of that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. does, does that help? <laughs> Oh my goodness. You talk about multitasking. Oh, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun actually having my, my fourth child. I had her started school, started the doctorate in September, had her in December. And I had to <sighs> go back in January for the semester and to teach. So it was wow. um, interesting. I don't know how I did it. It took me longer because I had to pause. At first, people were saying, you can't take mat leave, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, you know what? I would rather finish the coursework and then breathe and then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, take off with the research, which is partly what I did. And I took it a little bit slower. But also, it was during that same process that I was waking up. So at some point, I felt <laughs> that I didn't even want to complete it, not because it was hard, which it was, but because I felt as if I was working, uh, working with something that I didn't agree with, like the institutionalized stuff that's all out there. So it was, it was an, an interesting, not even balance, but an interesting way of mm-hmm. trying to find myself. And, you know, one of the ways I tried to work on that was to, when I was looking at my writing I tried to write some of these things into my work so that it actually meant something. What did you, what was your research on? I was looking at how teachers pay attention to children, non-mainstream children in their classrooms and how they attend to their needs. So when you, when you have children in your class, in a multicultural class, for example, they come from different backgrounds. Uh, you're teaching foods. So when you teach, do you teach the curriculum, which says this is how you use, say, apples or milk or meat? Or do you go ahead and find out from these children what's the knowledge they bring with them, the cultural knowledge that they bring with them, you know, regarding how they make milk or meat or how do they use that in the kitchen because it might be very different from what's in the curriculum but is there a room for that in your classroom is there a room for that in the curriculum yeah so actually like i said i have those two loves eh? i have the intercultural education love and i've been uh, sometimes i'm talking to coaches about uh, how much they pay attention to racialized individuals in their programs because if you're program has people from different parts of the world, do you have space for that? Or do you just treat everybody mm-hmm. the same? And I know that you you were busy uh, last month, weren't you, for February? 
You had some events and things. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It continues. It hasn't ended. (laughs) I have two others on Saturday. (laughs) Yes, I was busy. I was talking about Black History Month. I was doing a number of speeches around uh, Edmonton to different individuals, groups, institutions. Basically, we were looking at, you know, what it's like. It's you know, they call it celebration sometimes of the history of Black people. But to me, it's also about when tables are built and people are invited to those tables, when people sit at those tables, do they actually feel like they belong? Because mm-hmm. you could invite me to a table and I sit, but I still feel like I'm an alien. Or do I feel like I belong? And, you know, I know the way police, a lot of policies are right now is black people are invited. Oh, no, you can be part of it. Come, come, come. We have room for you. But Mm -hmm. when they go, they don't, and they sit at those tables, they don't feel like they belong. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. It's almost like the most important thing is the visibility and not the internal state of the person. I see what you mean. So when you talk about that and and sort of bring that to the forefront, Mm -hmm. How do you advise people to sort of address those situations? <laughs> it depends on the it depends on the group of individuals that I'm talking to. Sure. Yeah, the audience. Sometimes one of the most important thing is to check in with people, even to accept and acknowledge that there's stuff that has actually gone on. And then to think about how how does this history affect these individuals, whether they know it or not. And that's the sad part. It's the unconscious stuff that really, really uh, affects people because sometimes they don't realize that they don't know. On both sides, the people who are welcoming the racialized individuals and the racialized individuals themselves, sometimes they don't realize how they've been affected. They just go with the flow, with the, with the system saying, oh, everything is okay, we are doing all of this stuff. But they don't realize how they themselves have been impacted by the history. So it's inviting mm-hmm. people to interrogate the stories they've inherited about other people as well as to examine the stories they are creating about other people and what part they are playing. And sometimes the part is as simple as, can you just be quiet and other, let other people speak? Let sure. other people contribute to the knowledge that is out there because clearly the knowledge out there excludes them. But that's a deeper topic. <laughs> that, that would be another episode. To sort of wrap things up, I do want to ask, what advice would Miriam of today give the Miriam of the past, whether it was before you were 26 years old or, or after that and you're, you're in Canada? Just where, what advice would you give your younger self? I would say, don't worry, it will all make sense. Because at that time, a lot doesn't make sense. But just to tell her, you know, don't worry, whatever is happening is happening for you. It may look like it's happening to you, but it's actually happening for you. And if you hold on, if you hang in there, it will all make sense. I think that's wonderful. And I think it's it's so helpful for so 
many people, so many times we kind of go about the motions of the day and we don't even know why, why we're doing what mm-hmm. we're doing. Um, but if we just have trust and patience, usually unfolds um, itself as to as to why, as to why we're doing what it is that we are. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful, wonderful advice. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your incredible story and sharing about the synchronicities in your life and how you came to be the Miriam of today. And I really just appreciate appreciate you. And thank you so much for for honoring us with your thank story. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. It's been a pleasure sharing I'm so much, so much. So sometimes I don't know how to contain that, but it's coming out in a book. So the book, did I talk about that? No, I have a book coming out in probably by the summer it should be out. And it's called It Takes a Village to Raise or Wreck a Child. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, maybe have to have you back mm-hmm. on then if you're not too busy. <laughs> So we could talk about the book. Absolutely. And that was another episode of a guided life podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.